The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewired.com. I'm glad you guys are with us today, you online. I'm glad you're with us as well. I'm going to go into just a little more time of prayer, all of us together. And um, then I'm going to read Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And then I'm going to give us a glimpse of what that kind of feels like uh, as we sing another song. Uh, But because of copyright and different things like that, it won't affect us here, but you guys online, uh, you may have a hiccup. <laughs> so, um, but it is by Charity Gale, and it's called Throne Room. So if you want to look that up, if you're watching online, uh, you can look that up on YouTube, and there's a Charity Gale Throne Room song, and it has the lyrics with it. And we'll get a glimpse of what it's like to be singing the new song in heaven together uh, after I read that passage. But will you pray with me? Father, we, we just come in awe of who you are. You're so good. From eternity past, you, you knew all things. You had this in mind. This moment didn't escape your sight. You're not reeling in heaven because of the decisions of man. You are fully sovereign and in control. And in our rebellion and in our desire to take you off of the throne and put ourselves there, just like the great deceiver wanted in heaven, Satan, when he rebelled and you threw him down, you had grace and mercy for us. Beautiful beautiful grace and mercy because not only are we redeemed through Christ by his sacrifice or the forgiveness of our sins, the, the making us right again, but, but you, you put special favor on us by creating us in your image. The more I grow, Lord Jesus, in my discipleship, the more I just trip over that alone, that you would create us in your image. And that you would give us a great salvation. That you love us with a steadfast, eternal, ferocious love. And so that we wouldn't be ignorant of the times and the seasons. You've given us your word. You've said how all of this will will roll out. How it will end. What it will look like. And so as we study in Revelation, Father, we ask that the Spirit of God, that the Holy Spirit would come and open our hearts. That He give us eyes to see. That in, in our mind's eye, just as best as we can understand, may we, may we see what John saw. May we, may we get a glimpse of that as we go through the Scriptures today. May we just be in awe of the throne room of heaven. May it draw us in to praise. Father, we want to worship you 
in spirit and in truth. You alone are worthy. And so we want to give you all of our worship, all of our praise. And so now we ask, Holy Spirit, move among us. Search our hearts. Go into the deep places of our soul and shine your marvelous light and expel the darkness. May we become transformed more like the image of Christ. May we be more and more like him because we've been in your presence today. May you get the glory through the bride as you wash her with the word, as you make her without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. You have promised to do so. And you fulfill your promises. So God, we come to worship in the word. And we ask that you would bless it, that we would be a blessing to you. In Christ's name, we ask this, Father. Amen. Revelation chapter 4, starting, can you bring up, oh, I'll just read it so you don't have to change the slide. Revelation chapter 4, 1 through 11, and this is what John writes. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Cardelian, and Around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind, and the first living creature, like a lion, the second living creature, like an ox, the third living creature, with the face of a man, the fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed 
and we're created. This is the word of the Lord, chapter 4 of Revelation. If you would stand and let's sing the throne room song together.
inside the throne room, yeah, and before you I standing around that throne singing and praising you. But until that day, we will, we will rehearse here on the earth and we will make ourselves ready for your glorious appearing and for that moment when we can gather with the saints and the elders in glorious song around your throne, casting our crowns before you, praising you for what you've done. We now worship by coming to the word. In Jesus we pray, amen. Maybe seated. Jeff will link that in the description uh, as we get. If you go online and you look for these teachings and things, he puts all the different resources, all the charts and things that he's so uh, kind to make for me, and, and uh, he, he puts those there as well. So um, if you're looking for any of those things as we've gone through the Revelation series, go online and you'll find all of that there. Revelation 1.19 says this, Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this, 
So John has three things. He kind of sets up Revelation for us by writing the Lord's words down. He says, one, write what you have seen. So he gets the visions of heaven. He's, he's writing down the things he has seen. But then he says, the second thing, what is now? And as John is writing this, what is now is Revelation 2 and 3. It's the church age. It's, it's the letter to the churches. It's, it's Jesus speaking to them. And John is writing this down, and he will deliver this to the churches. And that is what is now. But then he says, what will take place after this? So this is future. This is chapters 4 through 22. And I think it's appropriate as we look at Revelation that God just, in his wisdom, before we see judgments, we see his holiness. We see who he is. We see how great God is. And, and we just take time to meditate on him. And so what will come in the great tribulation, we can say, is right. Because God is the one doing this. He is right in all of his ways. He is the one enthroned. He is the one that we see. And he has given us this beautiful picture. And there's a lot for us to glean out of Revelation 4. So before we do that, I want to bring two verses to mind. First is Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. It says this, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So Paul was writing to the church and he was saying that people were celebrating the different festivals and holidays and they were saying there's certain times or there's certain ways you do it. And some would say, well, every day is holy to God. And some would say, well, no, we really just gather on the Sabbath day or on the Lord's day and we just worship then. And he says, don't let anyone pass, uh, pass judgment on you. He says, but the, the festivals and the feasts that the Jews celebrate are a shadow of what is to come. The substance is Christ. And so we saw that as I laid out the chart and I said, these feasts have already been fulfilled at the cross in Jesus. And the Pentecost has been fulfilled with the coming of the Spirit. And now we have three more feasts to come. They are future and they will be fulfilled. They are a shadow of the true reality. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 24 this is what's written there for us. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Chapter 5, we're going to see the Lamb. We don't see the Lamb in chapter 4 today, but next week we'll see the Lamb. But notice what he says. He says, the things on earth were copies. They were copies they were to give us a picture of the throne room. They give us a picture of what God was doing in the heavens. So when we think about the Old Testament and the sacrificial system, and we think about the feasts and all the things that had to be done a certain way, God was saying this is a picture of what Christ is doing in the throne room. And that's what John gets to see. That's what we get a glimpse of right here in 4. If I'm like excited. I don't know, but like I've been studying this and studying this and this chapter, I could spend a long time on it. You don't want me to 
spend too long, but there's so much here. Verse 1, Paul says, or John writes this down. He says, after this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. So he says, after this, well, what is this? What's the this that he's referring to? After this, well, he's talking about the churches. He just got done writing to the churches. And he says, after this, after the churches, he's told you must see what must take place, what is going to happen. So it's referring to after the church ages. It's referring to what comes next. The tribulation begins here in the throne room with worship around the throne, but it also, if, if the rapture is at the beginning of, of the tribulation, then we will be in the throne room witnessing this. Grasp that for a minute. If the church age ends with the church of Philadelphia and the church of Laodicea splitting, as we talked about, that they're right now, we're in that church age, and the church of Philadelphia is seeking the Lord, and the church of Laodicea is the cultural church, which is the apostate church. When he says, come up here, and he raptures the church, and the church age ends, and the great tribulation begins, we will be standing in the multitude, watching that scene that we just read. Can you imagine that? There's going to be people up in heaven. They're going to be like, this looks a lot like Revelation chapter 4. And God's going to be like, yeah. Yeah, I told you what must come, what will happen. This is the fullness that we're seeing. We get a glimpse of the fullness. So the after this may refer to the, the rapture having taken place. He says a voice like a trumpet. So the trumpet kind of... Re, Remembrance of the Feast of Trumpets, but Revelation 3.10, I think, is a little better for us. It says this, because you have kept my word. Now, this is to the Church of Philadelphia. Because you have kept my word about, about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole earth to try those who dwell on the earth. So here's the, I will keep you from the tribulation to come. I will keep you from it. So this is a better verse for us here that points to the church being taken up. So we will be there in this moment. So Jesus calls John up to the throne room of heaven. And what John has only known as a shadow through the tabernacle and the temple, he will see the fullness of it. Can you imagine that? Like, he got to walk in the temple. He got to see it. He saw Solomon's temple. He got to see all that was done and finished. He got to see how it was in its splendor. And he saw what the tabernacle used to be was built in, in Jerusalem. The temple there, they, they transfer it all there to that site. This is where God meets with his people. And here's all the different elements. And they have to be made a certain way. Leviticus and uh, it, Exodus, show us all of these pictures. So John has that in mind, and he gets taken up into heaven, and he sees it, sees the fullness of it. 
he gets to be there in that moment, seeing what Christ has, has made a way for all of us to experience. It starts with saying, I saw a door standing open. The entrance to the holiest place. The holiest place in the universe where God dwells, where he sits on the throne. The door stands open. It's open. You can come. You can have entrance in to the holy place. It's mirrored on earth by the curtain that separated everyone from the holies of holies. Exodus 26, 33, it says, And you shall hang the veil from the class and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil, and the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy place. So here the ark of the covenant God's mercy seat taken into the tabernacle. And he says, now separate it with a heavy curtain. You're not allowed back there. You cannot enter. You cannot come in. Only one time a year, the high priest could go back in there. And the high priest had to do everything just right. And if he didn't, he would be, he would be struck down by the Lord. So what did they do? What happens if the high priest gets struck down? You know what they did? They used to tie a rope around his ankle with bells. So as he's walking around and doing his duties, they're like, he's still alive. If all of a sudden the bells stop and there's no movement, they could drag him out. This is the holiest place in the universe, and the door stands open. It's open. At the cross, Jesus made a way for all to be able to enter in by repentance and faith. Look at Matthew 27. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. When the sun gave up his life, God tore it like paper from top to bottom. Heaven tore the temple veil made a way, made it open. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, how do we get into the holy place? How do we get to stand at the throne room of God in Revelation 4? By the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. And not only that, through his flesh, he was torn for us. He was broken for us. Through him, through his blood, we have entrance. We get to be there. We get to see this. We get to behold it. We can close our eyes and imagine the scene, and it still is not going to be as beautiful and majestic and awesome as that moment when we actually get to behold it. So we have salvation available to us in Christ. We have new life attainable through Christ. We have an entrance that is accessible through Christ. Revelation 3.8, it says, I know your works, behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. 
Now here he's talking about the works he has for the church. He says, I've given you opportunities to evangelize. We talked about that in context. You can go there and look at that. But think about this in this context. God, through Christ, through his blood, has opened the door of heaven, and there's nothing that man can do that can shut it. He has made a way perfectly. It is done. It is finished at the cross. Access into new life, salvation, all of this available. Christ opens a door for the worst of sinners that they themselves cannot slam shut. Well, you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter. You can't close that door. It doesn't matter how vile of a sin you think you've committed. Christ, through his blood, can wash you clean, can bring you in, and you can stand at the throne room of God worshiping and praising him. John says, I got called up to heaven and the door was open. It's open. It's open for all who would come and it stands open, eternally standing open. Access through Christ into the presence of God. He says here in verse 2, at once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. So he says, at once I was in the spirit, and this goes back to Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. He talks about being in the spirit there. He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. And we talked a little bit about what does it mean to be in the spirit? And the question that gets asked here is, because he says, come up here, and he says, immediately I'm in the Spirit. The question is, well, was he physically there, or was it just like an out-of-body experience? Was his body still on the island, but then his soul's up in heaven? What, what's going on? We really can't answer that question. We don't know. But we know he's in the Spirit. We know he's in the presence of God. Whether God calls him up physically with his whole body and, and spirit, or if he just calls him up spiritually into the heavenly realm, we don't know. It's probably much like what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says this, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told with man, which man may not utter. So I think John is having a very similar experience to Paul. God knows. We don't know, but God knows. So he's taken up, and then he starts to tell us what he sees there. So the door is open. He comes into this throne room, and what does he see? One seated on the throne. The throne is central. It's, it's there. That's the first thing. Like You go to the throne room not to look at the throne, though. You go to a throne room to see the one who sits on it. So he goes in and he says, and I saw a throne and there's one on it. 
oh, that's a good thing. It's a good thing to know there's a throne in heaven and it is occupied and it's not occupied by you and me. (laughs) That God is on the throne. It's central. It's the most important thing in heaven. The one seated on it is what John's attentions immediately put on. So all the other details that we're about to talk about need to be viewed in relationship to the Lord of heaven, to the one who sits on the throne. So this is what makes heaven, heaven. A lot of the world wants heaven to be like the, the movie, I don't know if you've seen it, this is a, oh, I think it's reaching back to the 90s, uh, What Dreams May Come with Robin Williams. And in that movie, he dies and he goes to heaven. He lived a good life. So there's the idea of you do good things, you do be a good person, you live a good life, you get to go to heaven. He dies, he goes to heaven, and it's all about his imagination, his dreams. He can do anything he wants in heaven. He sees his, his kids and different people there, and, and it's just like, oh, it's so great. Even his dog, the dog that, that passed away, the beloved dog, the dog's in heaven because he wants the dog in heaven. You know, like, this, that's his concept. And so he's enjoying it, and then he realizes his wife's not in heaven. Because in the course of the movie, spoiler alert, and don't say you're going to go home and watch it, okay? You don't need to. But in the course of the movie, he finds out that she and her depression because they had lost their kids to an accident early in the movie, and then he's taken prematurely in the movie. She's in this great depression, and she just ends her life. And because she ends her life, she doesn't get to go to heaven. I don't know where these rules come from, uh, but this is how the world thinks, And so what does he do? He's like, well, I'm going to go to hell and I'm going to get her. And I'm going to bring her back to heaven. And this is what the world thinks. Like, I want heaven to be like this. It's going to be gold streets and no crying and no sickness. I get to see my relatives. I get to see all of those people that I miss. And I get to do all those things and I get the new body. I'm going to be able to run marathons and never get tired. I'm going to get to eat all that beautiful food and the fruit. And I get to have this. I'm going to think about these things. I get to enjoy the new heaven, new earth. I'm going to, this is heaven. Ask yourself, What will your heaven be like? If there's no God, if there's no Jesus, if he's not central, if you picture heaven like the world does and God is not in it, if Jesus is not the the Lord of heaven, if he is not in your thoughts, then you have literally imagined hell. Hell is the absence of God's presence. And it's not what we want it to be. It's not flowers and our pets and the loved ones and no crying or pain. No, it is darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is the absence of anything good and righteous and holy and pure and lovely. It's the absence of that because that's who God is. And if you imagine heaven without Christ, you have imagined hell And so when he says, depart from me, I never knew you, and he casts people out of his presence, that's what makes hell, hell. But John says there's a door open and you can come. You can be in his presence. The door stands open. We can come in and he is seated there and he's on the throne. He's center and we get to be with him in his presence. The one who is love and lovely calls us in. And so here, 
we can see the one seated on the throne. So heaven without Christ is like the wedding without the groom. Heaven without Christ is the kingdom without the king. You got to see what John sees and you got to put it in the right relationship. Everything is in the right relationship with him. It's about him. Verse 3, we read this. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald. We get the appearance of him. We get his radiance. We get his glory. We don't get a physical description of the one sitting on the throne. But we get this manifestation of his glory, of his radiance. He says the one there was, was like jasper, pure white, holy, pure. And carnelian, this deep blood red color. And there, this is mixed in his presence. This is the appearance. He's, he has this color of these stones. These stones are significant. Why? Because on the priest's breastplate were 12 stones. Each stone represents a tribe of Israel. Do you know them? Kids, do you know them? Did you ever learn that song I taught you? Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Gad, and Naphtali, Dan, Asher, Ishakar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. These are the tribes of Israel. Okay, you got to go back and learn it. Nobody sang it with me. Twelve tribes, twelve stones. Jasper and Carnelian, the first and the last. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the first and the last. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel. And his appearance is that of the first and last stone which the priest wears. John is seeing this, and I think John is probably geeking out like I am. And you guys are like, oh, that's interesting. You know, like, he's like, yes, the Lord, who's the first and last, the Almighty, the, the one who is and was and is to come. Here he is, the God of my fathers. Here he is with this appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. Revelation twenty two thirteen. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Don't lose that, the first and the last. Around him, a rainbow that was having an emerald hue. That, I don't even know how to imagine that, really. Like, I, I imagine the rainbow, but it's not over the throne. It's around the throne, and it circles him. And it has this green hue to it, a, a sheen to it. And the rainbow being set around the throne is a reminder of the promised grace towards man given through covenant. So Genesis 9, verses 11 through 17, we see that he establishes a covenant never to flood the world again, never to destroy it the way it was destroyed at the great flood. And so he puts a, a bow in the sky. He puts the rainbow in the sky. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 15, it says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. So what do we see? The rainbow is a reminder of the promises of God. 
When we sing, God of Abraham, you're faithful to your promises, yes, he is. And he has set a reminder around his throne. The rainbow is the reminder of all the promises that he has made, the covenant that he has established. He will keep it. It is, if you think green is fresh, it is fresh all the time. If you like Olin Rogers, it's like his jokes. You open it up, it's the Ziploc bag, it's still fresh, it's still good. Only a few of you got that. That's okay. His promises stand in front of him eternally. They speak about his character. Who did he make the promise by? Who did he swear these promises by? Hebrews says, because there was no one greater, he swore by himself. He keeps himself accountable to his promises. They're right there in front of him. Promised salvation. Promised entrance into the throne. Promised new life. Promised the the fullness of all that he gives us in his word is going to happen. Why? Because he has the rainbow set in front of him saying, this is what you have promised, Lord. And he says, yes, I promise that by myself and I will make it happen. Around the throne, verse 4, says there are, 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns. So around the throne, 24 elders seated on them. Now they may represent the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles, bringing the Old and New Testament together. Or it may be the 24 divisions of the priesthood as they were separated by David in 1 Chronicles 23, verse 6. I'm not going to read it, but that's the reference. We really don't know who the 24 are. These two are just best educated guesses as we look at Scripture. But we do know that they're clothed in white. They're they're pure. They're holy. They are righteous. They're wearing golden crowns. And those crowns are not diadem. They're not ruling crowns. Jesus wears many diadems. These crowns that they have are the Stephanos crown, the victor's crown. It's like one who runs a race and, and they win the prize. And what is the prize? Well, it was usually a wreath. You get other prizes, I'm sure, but there was the wreath that was green and they put it on their head and it would be beautiful for a season, but then the leaves would all dry up and wither and fall, fall off eventually. But no, the Stephanos crown never goes old, never grows dim. It's gold. It's eternal. It's lasting. They are victors in the Lord. They are victorious, and they have this crown, and they're seated around him. They were made worthy by the Lord. So the elders are worthy by faith in God, and they have overcome. And then notice what they do. They lead the holy congregation of the saints in worship of God, the one who sits on the throne. A few Wednesdays ago, we, we do the what if, or what about what if, the what about series where we have worship and prayer, first and third, this is an advertisement now, first and third week, worship and prayer, second and fourth week, we do what about, and we answer theological questions, and we go through scripture, and, and we were looking at different uh, spiritual gifts, but we were talking about healing and, and different things like that in one of the conversations. In James chapter 5, verse 14, we looked at it, it says this, if Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And so here we talked about, just like in James chapter 5, that the elders were ones who would want to pray. They should be men who want to pray over you. 
to pray for your good and for your healing. They should, if you have sickness, you have things in your life, come to the elders. They should be men who will pray over you with joy. They, they do this. This is part of their character. This is how they walk in their, in their testimony. Well, here in the throne room, we see the elders, 24 elders falling down, and they're leading in worship. So too, then, the elders here in Christ's church, we should love worship, and we should lead others by that example, inspiring all people to look and to call on the Lord, to seek His face, to follow Christ's leading, and to make their lives lives of worship. The more and more I look at eldership, the more and more just weight God has put on it. It's a holy calling because part of eldership is that they love worship and they lead the people in worship, not just by giving you a good sermon, not just by standing up here and dividing the word well, but living it, being worshipers, where you look at us and say, I want to be like that guy, like he really goes after the Lord. I should be going after the Lord. The elders in heaven lead the holy congregation in worship. Verse 5, it says that there's lightning and thunder and rumblings. This points to the picture of when God came to the people at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, verses 16 through 19. I'm not going to read all of it. This is if you're taking notes. In Exodus 20, verses 18 and 19, God came to Mount Sinai with, with rumbling and thunder and lightning, and it was fearful for the people. What's not here? There's no fear here. This God is being worshipped and it's all in right order. And they're not afraid of him. The thunder and the lightning and the rumblings, uh, declaring his majesty, they're worshipping. So once again, we see before the Lord the fullness of the Holy Spirit as well. In verse 5, it talks about the, 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 the seven torches, which is the seven spirits of God. And this is representative of the Holy Spirit. It goes back to chapter 1. Verse 6, he says this, And before the throne there, as it, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. What is this sea of glass? Well, it goes back to Exodus chapter 30, verses 17 to 21. Here, Moses was told, You shall make a basin of bronze, and with it, uh, and with it stand of bronze for washing. And you'll put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. And so what do they do? The priests, whenever they come in, whenever they have to do a sacrifice, they have to be ceremonially clean. They have to wash. They cannot be impure. So they wash their hands. They wash their feet. And, they, and they're constantly stirring up the water in the basin. Well, when Solomon builds the temple, he builds it grander than, than anyone before. And he has this huge bronze basin that's set outside. It says that the women actually gave up their bronze looking glasses, their, their mirrors. They didn't have glass mirrors like we do today. They'd use bronze and they'd have it uh, uh, refined in such a way that it was perfect for reflecting and for seeing yourself like a mirror. And it says that the, the women of Israel gave those to Solomon and he builds this huge bronze basin. And what's going on? It becomes, it becomes known as the bronze sea. It's so large. But the earthly bronze sea is always being turned over. Why? 
because of impurity, because of sin. Not so in heaven. It is like glass. The basin is not needed for washing. It is perfect. It is like glass. It's a beautiful sea that is undisturbed. It's it sits there perfectly because God has made all who dwell in his presence clean and holy. They don't have to touch the basin. It's a perfect sea of holiness. It's, it describes you and me in that moment. We don't have to wash and, and be made clean. The sea's undisturbed. Why? Because God has made us holy, and we see that, and we say, this is a testimony to our great God. We don't need to be cleaned again. We don't need to be washed anymore. He has made us clean, and the sea sits undisturbed. It's a testimony to the righteousness of God who can make us clean. Verses 6 and 7, we see these creatures. So we see the sea of glass, but also in 6, we start seeing these creatures, these living creatures. Now, they're kind of unusual when we look at them. So it says, And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, I'm going on to verse 8, and the four living creatures, uh, each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So we see these living creatures before the mercy seat, praising God continually. That is the mercy seat of heaven, the throne. That's the mercy seat of heaven. And there was a, mer a mercy seat on earth. It is the Ark of the Covenant. And there on the Ark, Exodus 25, 20. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. Their faces to one another toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. Here is a picture of the living creatures who are in heaven around the throne. They are facing the throne of God. They are worshiping day and night. And we see that they are giving testimony to his holiness they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And they are on the Ark of the Covenant. They are there. They're looking at each other. They're worshiping God. They're pointed towards the mercy seat. Isaiah 6.2 and Ezekiel 1.11, these two references give us the picture of these beings that are in the throne room. So again, John is seeing the fullness of the earthly shadow of heaven. He's getting to see it. Verses 8 through 11, they're never ceasing to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, the victor crowns that God has given to them because he has made them to overcome they say, our victory is your victory. They cast it before him, and they say, worthy are you, 
our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So what do we see? We see worship. We see worship. All of heaven worships God for who he is and the covenant he has made with his creation and with man. I love how Charles Spurgeon puts it. He says this, Knowing angels should worship God should prompt our worship also. Do we any less, do we any less to praise him or thank him for? Do we sing as much as the birds do? Yet what do birds, uh, what have birds to sing about compared with us? Do we sing as much as the angels do? Yet they were never redeemed by the blood of Christ. Birds of the air, shall you excel me? Angels, shall you exceed me? You have done so, but I intend to emulate you. And day by day and night by night, pour forth my soul in sacred song. We read this passage, and it says every time the creatures worship, the guys fall down and they worship, it's that line in the song that, that they are giving praise and the song that they're singing never grows old. So you think, well, wow, that's like we're going to keep doing that over and over. We're going to keep doing that. Yeah, and it's not going to get old. You're going to be like, he is worthy. And you're going to be in awe and you're going to be worshiping and caught up in that moment. So that's how we're going to end our service today, worshiping. So let us worship in song. Let us praise God for what he has done by taking communion together. Again, a picture of what Christ has done and the fulfillment is in him and in the heavenlies. So let us take communion together as those who have come by faith in Christ. If you have not received Christ, come down and pray with me and receive Christ and take this communion by his body that was broken and by his blood that was shed, you can have entrance into the heavenly throne room. If you're wondering, will I be there? Then you need to receive Jesus. That's the only way there. You need to ask for forgiveness of your sins and come to him and he will forgive you and he will make you worthy. He will give you the victor's crown, not because you earned it, but because he made you to overcome through his own blood. So we can worship and if you would like prayer, then grab a person with one of these red lanyards. Uh, if you have a red lanyard and you pray with somebody, they're going to be back on this back wall over here. So everyone's circling down, coming to get communion, going back to their seat. They'll be there to receive you if you would like prayer for anything. So let me pray. I'm going to introduce, as is customary as we take communion, two of our newest covenant partners, and then we're going to spend the end of the time worshiping. Pray with me. Will you please stand? Father, we thank you for this passage, and we ask, God, that you would just draw us in. Draw us into worship as we see uh, heaven worshiping. May these pictures of grace not be lost on us. May we see the awesomeness of it. May we just marvel, as I believe John was marveling as he's writing it down. And so, God, we just come saying thank you. You are worthy. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God. You are worthy. Receive our worship.
as we sing and as we take communion. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping Him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com.